Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers, where we have all of the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Before I introduce this episode's magnificent guest, Regina Louise, I've got a little follow-up to our last episode with Wolf Terry. First of all, welcome to all new listeners and subscribers. And if this conversation with Regina Louise is your first time here to bring you into the conversation, last episode generated a huge response. And it comes as a relief to have so many of the issues of the day articulated here on Free Your Inner Guru. I, like so many others, wasn't sure how to approach the topic of my own position on vaccination. And yet, I know from previous experience that we can never go wrong when we give voice to challenging conversations, even if and when it becomes uncomfortable. And since the release of the conversation last episode called Wolf Terry, the Yoga and Wellness Worlds Are Sick, I've received direct messages, reviews, comments, created new relationships, particularly on Instagram. And when I shared with Regina that I didn't think I could get away with a puff piece after last episode... She steps up in a big way to share her own personal, individual perspective, not only on racism, but vaccination when the opportunity was offered, as you'll hear. Something that Regina and I joke about is the recent change of my personal social media handles to that Laura Tucker. And candidly, I've always hated that it was Laura A. Tucker. The middle A there is a nightmare, but... The number of times that someone on Instagram commented either in the open feed or in DMs, you're that Laura Tucker, didn't escape my notice. It's clear that a lot of people in the yoga and wellness world listened to the Wondery podcast that I was in last year called Guru, The Dark Side of Enlightenment. So while I thought the next episode after Wolf Terry would be a solo, I need some time to get my thoughts and words together and put them into some kind of format that shines a light on the similarities between the anti-vaccination dynamic and the cult-like dynamic that I was caught up in. In the meantime, I'll keep threatening you with a solo episode And you can go check out either via the Free Your Inner Guru social media accounts or the now freshly renamed That Laura Tucker social media accounts for a just released fresh interview on a podcast called The Arena that I did with a wonderful host, Linda McLaughlin. It's very current. It addresses a lot of these issues and she does a beautiful job at holding the space for that conversation. So I'm very happy to send you there to to listen. And so that's all of the housekeeping this time around. And now I I get to introduce you to a remarkable human being. You are going to love this conversation with Regina Louise, author of Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. Before Regina wrote Permission Granted, she authored two best-selling memoirs, Somebody, Someone, and Someone Has Led This Child to Believe, in which she shares her journey that includes being in 30 foster homes as a child. Her memoirs became the award-winning Lifetime movie, I Am Somebody's Child, The Regina Louise Story. Regina joins me to explore topics of the day, including racism, privilege, 
being a social agent, COVID-19, and how writing her two memoirs prepared her to write Permission Granted, which is her first nonfiction self-help book. Regina Louise is a sought-after speaker, teacher, coach, and author. Recently, she was the recipient of the prestigious Christopher Award given to producers for stories that affirm the highest values of the human spirit. In 2019, she received the Jordan Award for Service in Transforming Foster Care Through Advocacy and the Arts, the Community Service Award for Children and Families from the Seneca Foundation, and the NAMIC, or NAMIC, not sure, I apologize, but the NAMIC Vision Award for original programming that reflects the lives, spirit, and contributions of people of color and represents the ethnic and cultural diversity of the viewing audience. In 2011, wanting to honor a pledge she made to herself to return as a young foster child and to support her son who was struggling in college, Regina returned to college. She graduated summa cum laude from California Institute of Integral Studies and then went to University of California, Riverside to earn an MFA, so Master of Fine Arts, in Creative Writing and Writing for the Performing Arts. You get the idea here. She's a very, very accomplished woman. Regina's work in the theater was nominated for two NAACP Theater Awards. Currently a Hoffman process teacher, she also leads workshops and has speaking engagements around the country. She's often featured in magazines and on news outlets including Good Morning America, PBS, BBC, NBC, CNN, NPR, HLN, and many others. And as a final note, if you are moved by this conversation, please share it widely and order yourself or someone you love, or both of you, a copy of Permission Granted. I give you episode 90, Regina Louise, I Dream in Equality. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Regina. It is a privilege to have you here. I'm very excited for our conversation today. I am so excited to be here with you, Laura Tucker. I have read your, your brilliant book, Permission Granted, and the subtitle is Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. I love that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> and to, to provide a really solid context, can we start with your version of your life story in terms of what brought you to write a book like this? Yes. I believe, I've always believed, I came into the world dreaming in equality. I dreamed in equality. And I remember always dreaming myself to the top of the food chain, to the top of any position or any experience that my soul led me to desire. And there are many influences that I've gathered along the way that give birth to this book. But the, the one that resonates deeply with me is I meet a lot of people who suffer in relationship to relationships and what they can and cannot do, who they are, 
and are not based upon varying relationships within their lives. And all I know is how to follow spirit. And in so doing, my own permission was born. So no matter what it is, I am experiencing, have experienced, desire to experience. Instead of coveting relationships that I may not have had, instead of wishing my life were different because it was so solitary, I've learned the value of my own permission. Like that, I am so wealthy, right? The, the fact that I can make decisions on my own, the fact that I can be all of who I am at any given point and take all of me wherever I go and be good with that. To be good with the color of my skin, the shape of my nose, the, the flat feet, my little flat feet. To be good with the texture of my hair. To be good with my rhythm. To be good with my tunes and tones, that is what has led me to offer a set of tenets that have the power to free us from the toxic and outdated, outmoded, or never even developed ways of being in this one life. Having read your book and done some research, I know what some of the, the pieces that were missing from your life a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess my heart wants to ask you, did you always have that knowing? Did you always have that sense of self-guidance? Because I think a lot of people, especially right now in the wake of coronavirus and everything else, are feeling a little bit or a lot, like their foundations have been shaken? Was it something that you had to earn and develop or experience or were you always this way? Did you always (laughs) have this wisdom? I think, yeah, I think it's inherently in us all. (laughs) Miss Laura Tucker, (laughs) I think, where else does it come from? I think adversity has a way of carving carving the character from us carving us carving the character that we identify as to to bump and scrape up against adversity's sharp edges while simultaneously staying awake alive and aware i think that was my only fighting chance is to stay awake, alive, and aware. So how to employ hypervigilance in a way that it becomes a skill set. And so for me, hypervigilance is a skill set and being aware of everything and then finding the meaning in that thing. Yes, I lived in over 30 foster homes. 30. Yes. In every home I left, I gave myself permission to leave, regardless of the consequences. 
And I saw myself as an adventurer. I saw myself as someone full of moxie, full of, I, I like to think of it as I had a backpack full of buckshot and, or knapsack, I would have said backpacks came in the 80s. Knapsack. Totally. I was we all grew about up on knapsack. Knapsack, girl. I was all about Huckleberry <laughs> Pan. Huck, come on. Now, come through. And I, I just had this fever. It was a fever to reach my highest capacity, mm-hmm. to reach my highest possibility. And I remember something my biological father's wife said to me recently over, we hadn't spoken, and thank goodness for this Insta world of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I decided to just, I saw her and I decided to reach out, say hi. I was, I was a bit tentative. And I think it was like National Siblings Day, something really weird. I just said something like, how are you? Or happy birthday. And it happened to be National Siblings Day. And she had said, oh my God, it's good to hear from you. And I said, I always thought you never... Really, you were indifferent to whether you heard from me or not. And then she said, you were always my girl. And then she said, I had no idea. I was no match for your unbridled brilliance. Wow. 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 So, yeah, Laura. And that's something we were talking about. a little bit or, or before we turn on the recording. And that sounds like the, the perspective that time gives back at the time when you were no match. It sounds like perspective, <laughs> yeah. self-awareness. Yeah, because I think the prognosis for me was I would have 12 children by 20 different men by the time I was 14. Back then... My fighting spirit was seen as troublesome. Mm-hmm. It was situated in the pejorative 90% at the time. Everybody that I know, again, was to be, was to be the mother of a, a tribe of illegitimate children. What a concept to have about someone's humanity. And so to... And I overheard adults. I overheard what they said. Break into the file cabinet that held my files, and I would read those files. And then I would find the dictionary or the DSM-2, and I would look up all the diagnoses, and I would read. This This is what they were pretty much thinking my life would be. So it gave me options like oh wow like the light that they are projecting for me basically has already happened i I have already blossomed to to the most that i'm never going to be wow this is exciting and so it became about rebellion i Mm. will show you right so yeah perspective is great at the time she what what most of these people and i don't hold it against them i get it 
what I believe was true is it's easy to put the sins of the mother on the child, the sins of the father on the child. And in my case, I got a double whammy, sins of the mother, sins of the father. Mm -hmm. What's not easy is to step into your Christ consciousness and do unto others mm -hmm. as you would want the highest good, the highest grace to do unto. I grabbed a quote from the middle of the book last night when I was preparing, and I think it really lands in here very well. So are you good if I read a little bit of you yes. to you? Okay. <laughs> Respond and jump off of there. So for anyone who wants to find it in the book, it's from page 154. And it's a series of questions that you're asking in, in the middle of the chapter. How do women and those of us who identify as historically underrepresented folks give ourselves the permission we so often need to be bigger than a suppressive society wants us to be? It takes courage on steroids many times to realize our dreams. It gets exhausting, I know. But no matter what, don't allow anything to get in your way. Ride out the uncertainties, the confusion, the rejections, the misplaced projections that there is no room at the inn for you. I wrote that. Well, you weird. wrote that. It's beautiful. Mm. And I think we've established, thanks to our extensive collection of reading glasses, that we're <laughs> around the same age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this landed with me. And... In some of my conversations, and this is this may be where some of my privilege will, will come into the conversation, but in some of the conversations that I've been having writing my, my memoir, which is extending out to a much broader and longer period of my life than I initially expected, I've had to go back and examine what the expectations were of a, a girl who is the eldest of you know, four with three younger brothers growing up in the 70s and 80s with the messaging that, and I get now that it was new messaging that you can be, do, and have it all. And some of the collateral on that has been the exhausting part of being, doing, and trying to have some. What, what, speak to me about some of your experience with that. As someone who I have just, I have one un underrepresented aspect to me. I'm a woman. You're a woman. Talk to me, please. This is a beautiful space right here. What, what you've opened up is beautiful in so many ways. And it's a multi-pronged answer, but I will do my best to not go tangential too often. We like tangents here. Okay. As a social agent, this is some of my always evolving perspective. As a social agent, there are expectations. As a social agent in a hegemonic society, in, in, in one in which those privileges you, you mentioned are privileged, there are expectations. There are expectations of you, right? in order to have access to those privileges or ways of being, ways of believing, ways of being part of the herd, 
being part of the flock. And to me, that there are huge disadvantages. So people can look at how I'm situated in this world and, and classify me as historically underrepresented, the historically disadvantaged, the marginalized. And, and granted, within the construct of hegemony, that is true. Because as James Baldwin has written about, I think it was in Sonny's Blues and the young black boys hitting their heads up against the ceiling that would never give way to any of their possibility, that still is a truth within our constructed society that young black girls and boys and immigrants and a host of quote-unquote others bump our heads up against the, the ceilings of impossibility. And, and then we get hoodwinked when Michelle Obama becomes the first African-American or black flotus, or when Kamala Harris occupies that position. And it's easy for us to think, oh, wow, if, if Amanda Gorman can get that, then we all can. And so when I look at something like what the, the, the privilege that Biden extended to a, that cut in line to Amanda Gorman, that was like an act of God. Mm -hmm. It can seem like an act of God in a way. And I know that I read somewhere that she even turned down $17 million in offers because that these offers did not resonate with her brand. So all of that to say, it's all fiction in my opinion. It's all a laughable conceit, in my opinion. It's constructed, it's deliberate. And so that is a world that exists, the world of hegemony, privilege, and so on. All the nomenclature that points to that. And then there is someone like myself. I represent a sub-demographic, quote-unquote, disenfranchised. I represent a demographic that doesn't even get caught up, doesn't even get swept up in that classification, and that is the demographic of the completely invisible. Like, disenfranchised was the foundation of it was built right above the existence of people like me. And so to be buried that deep under the infrastructure of possibility, the infrastructure of believing I can have any piece of what you started this conversation off with. That's an interesting space to be in. And then to have a mindset, as W.E.B. Dubois spoke about the double consciousness, so for me, there has to be a triple consciousness. So th this triple consciousness, I identify as a Black woman. But that subculture that exists below the infrastructure, invisible Black woman, like the invisible of the invisibles. Because one, no one claims me. No one. Two, I will never, ever, ever 
benefit from any adult's earnings, lifetime of experiences, zero, not in silch. I will never be in, like when, when someone dies, like when my own, like my name wasn't even <laughs> documented on, you know, people's death eulogies that are posted. Then what? I got to go to that place where spirit meets bone, Laura. Mm. I got to go to that place beyond the status quo, beyond the listening and the visuals of a human kind that doesn't see me to begin with. So then from that place where spirit means, oh, it is from that place that I've learned to listen and to move from that place into the world. It's a luxury. It would be luxurious, and I knew that as a young girl. I heard my social worker say, why do you think you have the same things that little rich white girls have in foster care? I didn't understand any of that stuff. She said, you don't have the luxury to think you have a second chance. Of course, it was out of context, but of course I heard held on to that. And I thought, what does that mean? Yeah. And so I learned, oh, wow. I didn't have that luxury as W. H. Auden said for a wild thing to feel sorry for itself. So I was that wild thing that learned to never feel sorry for itself. And with that, and then listening close to where spirit meets bone, listening for how the universe spoke and the language in which it spoke to me. And then to believe that. And so when I, what I mean by believe that, to understand that no evidence was needed, no proof was needed, but that to trust what I heard and the messages I received to trust that and then to be it. So it's like, girl, I don't have time waiting for hope because I'm busy being a hope. Yeah, I don't have time waiting for success because I am success. And so to move from that place where spirit means bone into the world, that's how I have rocked this life again and again. So there are places that I'm pretty much certain. For instance, if this particular book we're talking about, which at this point has sold 2,147 books, I reached out to my publisher and I said, what would it take to, to earn back the advance? Uh, and and 2,500 books, that's all I'm about. And I know that if I go beyond, if this book can go beyond that, it will more than likely be because someone will show things. Mm-hmm. Someone will fall in love and championing it to uh, a rightful place at the table. So I know also that my particular narrative and my particular voice is not easily privileged at the, on the world stage. And I know that no matter how good 
of a product I create. That product, it, that product's trajectory, it is, it will be predicated upon the kindness, the uh, privilege of someone who reads it, loves it, and ushers it along on its independent journey. I love how you describe that. And as someone who's increasingly identifying as a creator, this is part of my excitement to speak with you today, is listening to you. It's exactly how I feel about this podcast, right? And you stay in motion. And this is, I think, the, something that is relevant to anyone. I hate the saying, fake it till you make it. And I just gleaned you wrote, faith it until you make it. And that was just like one snippet of prose in the book. And I was like, oh, that just sounds so much better. It feels better. It resonates far more truthfully. What I'm hearing is that you're trusting a process. Trust The trust is staying in the game until that ushering and momentum that is beyond your personal effort. Right. And it doesn't happen to all works. That's right. But it doesn't happen to any works where the, the person behind it, in this case you, are taking those steps, including right. showing up to Zoom on a Thursday to talk with some woman named Laura. Right. And Laura Tucker, to be exact. It's so funny. I think I'm uh, just a total aside, I, I'm considering changing my social media handles to that Laura Tucker because I've heard in the last few weeks, oh, you're that Laura Tucker? And I'm like, yep, I am that Laura Tucker. <laughs> you better be about it. That's right. I love that. He's <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to do it. I've said it. Um, but staying in the game, this is what I'm hearing. And I don't even like the metaphor of a game, but it works. Like staying present to it, nurturing the work along. You've written, I, th I think, two memoirs, not just one memoir. You've written, this is not your first book. No. This is your first, this is your first book of this genre. Yes. And hopefully, this, like, I had to write those two books. I had to download all that brokenheartedness and trauma from my sovereign being to get to this, to get to this next level of, let me just say this. I, I have, my Academy Award speech written, Golden Globe written, Emmy. We could just go on down the line. Yeah. And I believe I, I have the list of my top conversationalists who I want to be in deep praxis with what we're doing here. And so for me, I believe that you know, I've, I've got my Oprah's. And so when I was on in conversation with Robin Roberts, one of the questions that I wanted to be asked, which is to me how this book came into being, I wanted to be asked, how, baby girl, did you get, oh, that's a Starbucks cut. How, baby girl, <laughs> Starbucks, you better try to sponsor <laughs> this podcast, girl. Don't be <laughs> Starbucks. You better get on it. That Laura Tucker. So <laughs> while I was in conversation and sitting across from the beautiful Robin Roberts, I wanted 
so bad for her to ask me, how did you, baby girl, how did you get from where you were to where you are? To me, that is the question. Mm -hmm. That's a super soul Sunday question. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So for me, that's what it's about is always nexting, always imagining the highest order of possibility. So anyway, I, I digress, but I, I wanted to share that with you is I live my life next to imagining and then faithing it, faithing it. That's possible. When Walt Disney, right? When he believed, meaning he didn't need proof. He trusted. So when he believed Disneyland into being, right? That's kind of how I see this thing is believing what my spirit impresses upon me to be already so. And it's just a matter of time and space where these things come into existence. I think when you're in that time and space, which so many of us find ourselves in, especially in a world that has sped up on so many levels and then at the same time ground to a halt, there's things spinning in a very frantic pace and then just getting something delivered to your house could take ages right, right? like it's the simple thing i think it's that space that some describe it as liminal space that's also when strategies like the ones that you have gathered in your book are most needed my self-growth journey has as outrageous as it has been at times, it's in the waiting and there's been a lot of waiting that things can go full bore south and dark or that's when you get to work with the inside. Girl, you got me over here feeling some kind of way. Let's just go back to that idea of liminality, liminal space, standing, moored sometimes it feels at the threshold of that old life and that potential life. And it's interesting. I'm going to take a departure from what you said because there's something really fascinating. For many of us, that can be also the dark night of the soul. And I personally feel that I've been in this space of liminality for 17, 18 years. It takes the time it takes. Yeah. And I remember 17 years ago, I lost all of my earthly possessions, totaling in, in today's market 1.8 million. And it took me a lifetime to build that. I lost the home. I lost the vacation home. I lost my three businesses. And the fascinating part is, when I hit rock bottom is when I literally stepped into that, stepped up to the threshold, recognized, oh my God, this is that place where change is afoot and it is breaking me apart in every way possible, psychologically, intellectually, emotionally, and physically. And talk about being moored in 
profound disorientation. Talk about my entire worldview just assassinated on the spot. And so they, so one foot is over and, oh my God, this is what I, this is what I came from. And I have no idea, or do I, of what I'm going into. And is it important to know what I'm going into? Or is that the reverence? Is that the price that must be paid in order to free fall and to know from experience that even in that free falling, moving as far away as possible, leaping into that epistemic stretch of what will I know to be true once I step over into that new place. And in some ways, the, the, the departure that I've made in writing permission granted is the new space because the good enough mother needed to be heard, needed to make space for my own innocence, to confess, to reconcile, to give others the opportunity to know there was nothing ever wrong with me, but since no one is asking, would you please be willing to hear what happened to me? And so those first two books, this is what has happened. This is what we as a society have left those of us who are beneath, who are low. This is what those of us swept under the cultural rug. And what are we going to do differently about it? And probably not a lot. If, if those children at the border of the U.S. and Mexico are indicative of what we're going to do about it, then it's where, like a narcissistic personality, mm. it is at that age, at that place and time, behind a barrier. They can't feel, they can't see, they can't know. It's like we have that aspect of us as a culture, this mm -hmm. narcissistic, unless it's ethnocentric to what it means to be white, Protestant, Catholic, and all of the privileged religious identifications, the rest. So anyway, I, that liminality, that, that sent me somewhere. And I think, too, it's you're pointing out like, that we're in that space as a society right now, that, that it's not, that it's not, it, that it is happening. It's like the saying what's happening in the mi macrocosm is happening in the microcosm and vice versa. And yeah. so this personal, this, the personal journey, the personal struggle, the, the personal insistence on being seen and heard and recognized and coming up from it, even to be seen by a system that doesn't even want to see you. It's happening. It, it happened in your life. It's happening in children's lives that were similar to yours right now in the United States and Canada, around the world. And then it's happening in a more structured systemic way with how countries are treating 
outsiders. Yeah. And this is part, this is partly, uh, or has a lot to do with why I've taken the podcast away from only talking about the bright side, right? Only talking about inspiration, only talking about intuition. We need them. They're, they're necessary, but also looking at if it's free or inner guru, I've come to understand over the course of the last couple of years, you're not free if you're not able to see what's happening in the systems around you. Yeah. And to the degree to which you may or may not be indoctrinated into those systems or by those systems, completely mm. unaware, completely you're not responsible for. Some kid like me growing up in, you know, Scarborough, Ontario, Canada, not responsible for creating the system that I grew up in. But as an adult, I'm responsible become, for becoming aware of the systems as and to put as much awareness into that as I as I do into being coming aware of myself. Otherwise, what's the whole self-awareness journey for? Right. I mean, you know, I, I, I again, I come back to this place of liminality. And again, with what you just said and that this idea of culturally and societally, we are at that place where like last, but what, what occurred last summer, mm -hmm. I think as a culture, we've blindly been at that threshold of this is what was, this is what could be. But as a culture, I think we were so willing to continually to leave so many people behind. And I think what occurred, the atrocities that occurred in plain sight, if we just stop and sit with that, sit with that. It's not only in the realm of the unconscionable, but we must become conscious to it, to feel it, to allow the, to allow the reality that while George Floyd was on the ground with a knee in his neck and he called for his mama, it's, it would be irreverent on every level to not stop and shield the reverberation of that most primal name to move through us, in us, as us, to be at the place, the threshold that we are, and to not be willing to open access, opportunity to those who we, who our collective culture has oppressed. So even though, rest his soul, George Floyd got the brunt of what we all, those of us who identify as not white, we all, in a way, had that oppressors me in our necks. Some days it can feel unbearable, and then we find ways to remove that pressure. And so here we are. And how do we 
now get some restitution underway. Some massive apologies and reverse policies that deprivilege and decenter narratives that comprise the fullness of this American experience. So I love the, the notion of this liminality. And I love that we are at a place where we have a framework through, we have many frameworks, anti-racist, the war on, and as mm-hmm. though we really need to spell it out, but clearly we do. Yes. So last summer, I appreciated dissolution of a particular kind of hierarchy, a particular kind of domination, unfortunately instigated by the loss of a brilliant and beautiful life. And so here we are. One of the things that I'm gathering a sense of is that there are a lot of people who are feeling like they want to acknowledge that it's just the beginning. Mm. You know, it's important what happened. But what you said earlier about, and if this is a false equivalency, just call me out on it. But what you were saying earlier about Michelle Obama and Amanda Gorman, George Floyd is the visible culmination of systemic issues that have been in place long before you or I were born. And so we're in the early part of the journey of dismantling it. And I have fear that momentum is lost, that distractions, the fact that it all went down in the middle of the pandemic and received so much energy and attention. For me, really, it insisted on saying, this is that important. This has to happen now. This cannot wait until this wake-up call. Cannot wait until the end of COVID, the interminable end of COVID, (laughs) that these are very early days. And so I was sharing when I aired or released an episode, it's just the most recent one when we're recording, but an episode with uh, a young woman named Wolf Terry, who's very willing to take a public stand with regards to issues around vaccination. I, uh, when I greeted you before we turned on the recording, I was like, I don't think I can get away, away with a with a puff piece here my audience wants to hear what people have to say about social and societal issues Mm -hmm. and i really do feel that it's incumbent upon the leaders and those of us who call ourselves leaders or leadership coaches or whatever it is to maintain and grow and share the burden quite frankly so what are you asking i'm asking you what that, as someone like me, can do to continue to support. Because it's one thing to support in the moment, but now we're more than a year later after the event. And how can we continue to do the good work of helping people become or supporting people to become personally aware, responsible, and bottom line, satisfied and happy with their lives 
but also keep an eye out to the outer world. So your question is, what's my stand on getting vaccinated or? It doesn't have to be if you want to speak to it. I don't want to force it. How does it, any of it relate? As a social agent, right? Yeah. I'm a social agent. You're a social agent. There are privileges that are, it, it, although different. So let's just say for me, the fact that I live in a quote unquote, supposedly free country, the fact that I live in a democracy, power of the people. If I just break it down from the point of view of what is my desire as that free social agent within the con this whole idea of freedom is really interesting, but let's just go with this. I'm a free social agent. I am doubly vaccinated. And before I became vaccinated, I was skeptical. Not from any conspiratorial perspective, but skeptical to the... I grew up where I had to take drugs to be a certain way. Drugs were forced on me because apparently... I had every, every personality disorder in the DSM two, three at the time. And so I had horrible, tarded dyskinesia and physiological reactions. So I have an, I'm adverse to any kind of drug, marijuana, heroin, all of it. I just, no, thank you. You've earned it. I've earned it. So the fallout of that is I, took my first flu shot this past year, ever in my life. It's difficult to, to get me to take Advil. So for me, what informed my decision to get vaccinated is also I'm a diabetic. So, and I work with people as a Hoffman process teacher in fairly close quarters. So I wanted to, one, have every opportunity possible to protect myself, to protect my health, to support these underlying conditions. So I became doubly vaccinated, and it took some convincing, and for the reasons I've already disclosed. Now, with anything. When I took the diphtheria vaccine as a child, I took it, didn't think about it, and all those other vaccinations that are required, they're required to attend schools, to to be part of this, being a social agency in a democracy. It's an individual, it's an individual gig, Laura Tucker. I wear my mask I do the days. It's an honor. It's an honor to wear this N95 to, and I'm in a public place right now where I'm in, a, in one of my office spaces where I must wear this mask in the communal space, but in my own office, I can take it up. Like, I love knowing, I love knowing that one, when I put this mask on, it's a sign of solidarity within a democracy. It's a way for me to say, I am here to 
support the continual living of every person I encounter. I am in support of my own existence. I am honoring my spirit as I believe it to be. So for me, getting inoculated and wearing this mask, oh my gosh, it is a powerful protest against COVID, against the silent enemy, if you will, against this thing spreading. That's my personal relationship to it. That's my personal contribution. I don't know any side effects that may come 10, 15, 20 years from now, 10 months from now. I don't know that. But you know what? In the face of doing what I can, in the face of an enemy that is a great equalizer, in the sense that Rona doesn't give a fuck about your religious affiliation, Rona does not give a fuck about your age, your color, your creed, your, your social position, your class, none of it. When Rona comes for you, it seems that she just comes and she takes what she wants uninvited. So I decided to make it a little harder for Rona to come for me, bitch. Don't come for me because I didn't send for you, Rona. And you better not come unless I send for you. And more than likely, I'm not going to send for you. So I'm just trying to level this uh, playing field of my own possibility of not having another day to, to be wonderful and engage in a place from where spirit meets bow. So that's kind of like how I say it. It's such an individual. I appreciate you sharing your process on that. I really do, because it does illustrate that it is an individual decision and made from what's good for you is good for the collective. Okay. Hey, I have to go ahead. That's and that well, and that's been one of the core tenets of spirituality for a very long time, long before the coronavirus. And yeah. I just love that it, thank you for sharing. I'm very grateful for that. No, you have a hard and just stop. This, just this last thing. It is rare. It is rare. At least I feel it is a rare opportunity to stand in solidarity with those who also ascribe to what I ascribe to in that my life, based on the information that I have right now, is worth saving. And I get to act from agency to do that. Agency can go either way. But for me, I'm acting on that agent to give myself an advantage. This, wow, to actually give myself an advantage. How beautiful is that? And when people say we're all in this together, so for those of us who are in this get vaccinated mindset together, we will always have that. We will always have that. 
And that to me is an interesting way to give myself permission to belong in a way I've never been invited to belong before. I want to leap through the screen and give you a big hug. Regina, mm. you're beautiful. You're beautiful. I'm so grateful that our, our paths have crossed here. And we didn't talk about your beautiful book much, and yet we talked about your beautiful book. Mm. You're, yeah. you're living your principles even into this moment and sharing what is so powerful about you. So then I say this, we send people because now you got me thinking i'm going to change my instagram handle to that regina so people can go to my website yes. com. i love instagram so feel free to follow me on at the real regina louise at least it is for now the real regina louise and go to amazon and buy my book. It's a beautiful book. By the time someone's here with us in this vulnerable space, they will have heard what I have taken away from the book. Great. And I think I sometimes get into a space where I think I can't read another self-help book for this podcast right now. And... I opened the pages. I actually went to your Instagram. I listened to your voice. I, I went through your content there before reading. So I had your actual voice in my head mm, mm, reading. And you have put together beautifully. Oh God, your writing is beautiful. But also you framed them up in a way that as a self-help veteran, I am going to call unique. Not just because they're coming from you, but you brought your wisdom to the table in this mm. and the beautiful way that you've wrapped your language around. Even the chapter titles are <laughs> beautiful directives. They're all in front of me and I'm going to pick one off the list. Even how you've shown up, you've stood in your dignity and you've mm. allowed your spirit to triumph and what you've brought to this conversation today. Mm. is allowing these to shine through. Yeah, thank you for that. And anybody listening, hold it all lightly. This is how I feel. I felt I responded in the way that I feel right now. And in some ways, my opinions and my politics and my point of view, it shifts. Depending on how deeply rooted I am in my heart in that moment or what's going on for me. I'm just a fluid individual, but the things that don't change for me ever is the reverence that I have for that place where spirit meets flow. That does not change. That is the place where my heart begins again. That's that place where, you know, when the heart is beating and you have that imperceptibly small space between the beats, that's that place where spirit meets fallen. I'm willing to meet anybody who's willing to meet themselves. I'm willing to meet you there. Thank you for bringing such grace to the podcast, Regina Lee. It truly has been a pleasure. You. Thank you for opening your platform to me. I appreciate that. Thank you 
for holding my book in positive regard, seeing the book for what it is, and to situate it in the way that you have because you've done your research and you know that I am an anomaly in this space of metaphysics. Yes, you are. And I'm so grateful to have met you.